It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Sarah and I have talked many times about our desire to age as gracefully as possible, and skincare is a huge piece of that. I spend a lot of time and money thinking about my skin, and I have added Ritual to my routine, which just gives me a lot of comfort. Ritual is here for us. They have created a wrinkle support skin supplement and conducted clinical studies, so we know it's working. They're taking the guesswork out of skincare. Ritual Hyacera is one of several Ritual products that I love. I take the daily multivitamin, I take a probiotic, and Hyacera is that once daily skincare supplement that is clinically proven to reduce wrinkles and fine lines and increase skin smoothness in 90 days. I recently met a friend for the first time in person as opposed to online. And we were discussing the fact that I am 43 and she said, I cannot believe how young you look. And I thought, thank you, Ritual, for that. Start Hyacera to help minimize wrinkles without compromising on clean science. Hyacera from Ritual is a clinically proven skin supplement you can actually trust. Get 25% off your first month for a limited time at ritual.com slash pantsuit. Start Ritual or add Hyacera to your subscription today. That's ritual.com slash pantsuit for 25% off. As we move into a contentious general election process, it's tempting to revert to the old adage, never talk about religion or politics. But not talking about politics ensures that our politics will continue to devolve. Today, we continue our mission to find a more constructive approach to our country's political dialogue. Hi, everyone. Thanks for joining me for an episode of Pantsuit Politics. I'll miss Sarah a lot today. Uh, So today's episode will be a little bit different because Sarah is off with her family enjoying some camping. Um, We're going to take some inspiration from our listener, Lauren, in Colorado. And Lauren left us a great voice message that you'll hear in the suit. And so I'm going to try to answer Lauren's questions today. So I'll do the pearls as usual, the segment with Lauren, a short segment of the heels, and then we'll end with an interview that I was able to do with Chris Chidzik from Predict It. So our listener, Aubrey, works for Predict It, which is an online prediction market where you can go make investments on outcomes in political events. So elections, votes, uh, general happenings. And so I talked with Chris Chidzik, who is an analyst at Predict It, a couple of weeks ago, and we're going to share that interview with you in the end of the show today. So I think it's kind of fascinating. It's a world that I knew nothing about before talking with Chris, and I hope you enjoy it. But first, we'll start with the pearls as usual, a couple of items to highlight from the news this week. 
The Libertarian Party held its convention over the weekend, and it got much more coverage than it ever has. Uh, Major outlets uh, from all aspects of the media attended, so it was easier than in past years to sort of follow what was happening on Twitter. And a lot more press about it in general. I saw a great tweet from the Libertarian Party uh, giving an award to Donald Trump and Hillary Clinton for increasing interest in the party. So that was a a little bit of humor there from the Libertarians. Gary Johnson, the former governor of New Mexico, came away with the nomination despite rather stiff competition uh, from Austin Peterson and others. Austin Peterson, uh, from what I can tell, a little bit more extreme libertarian than Gary Johnson. Johnson was booed a few times during the party's debate, which I think is a good indicator that the you know the Libertarian Party, much like the Democrats and the Republicans, have its wings. And there are certainly those in the Libertarian Party who are looking for someone who takes individual liberty farther than Gary Johnson. So he was booed uh, for several things, including saying that he would have signed the Civil Rights Act. Sarah asked that question the first time we brought up Gary Johnson. He is a supporter of the Civil Rights Act. As she alluded to, some libertarians object to that act as violating the freedom of association. So that is a a rather extreme view, in in my opinion, at least. And Gary Johnson is supportive of the Civil Rights Act. It's worth noting that he is also supportive of same-sex marriage, believes the government should be out of the marriage business in general. He supports a woman's right to choose. So um, I, I view Gary Johnson as pretty ideologically consistent, and I would sum him up as being fiscally conservative and socially liberal, which is a a situation many of us find ourselves in, even though uh, my views certainly don't neatly line up with the Libertarian Party. There's there's a lot to like there for me. He was also booed for supporting the issuance of driver's licenses by the state, if that gives you an indication of how far some libertarians are willing to take the government stays out of our lives argument. And he was asked, I think this is really interesting and pretty important. He was asked whether the United States' participation in World War I and World War II was wise. So many libertarians are, in some ways, isolationists. I think certainly you would find consistency in the platform that the United States should not be, you know, the world police. We should let respect other countries' sovereignty. We should not let our interest in national defense override individual liberties. So where you have, like, folks like Rand Paul talking about surveillance in the United States. So Gary Johnson was asked this question about whether the United States should have intervened in World War I and World War II, and his answer was, I don't know. I think that's an important question because when you start to consider whether a third party is sort of ready for prime time, you know, how would a Gary Johnson look on stage with Hillary Clinton and Donald Trump? That kind of question I think you need to be able to answer decisively and well. Now, there's a big part of me that's conflicted about that because I really respect people who say they don't know. And in a lot of ways, isn't the truest answer, I I don't know, to especially World War I. I think World War II, most of us would say there was such a compelling just human interest that the United States had to intervene. But, you know, perhaps not. Certainly there's disagreement about those topics. I just think that it is important to step back and take a look at whether Gary Johnson has been in enough forums to be able to go shoulder to shoulder, certainly with Hillary Clinton. Now, he's he's more experienced and practiced than Donald Trump. 
uh, you just never know what a Trump debate is going to look like. So we'll see how this goes for Gary Johnson. But in kind of exciting times at the convention, a lot of bizarre statements, some bizarre happenings. You can look all of that up online and we'll link up some of it in the show notes. Also this week, the State Department released a report on Secretary Clinton's email. So this report comes from Steve Linick, who is the State Department Inspector General. And I want to try to describe this in as neutral a way as possible. So I, I think it is fair to say that the Inspector General identified two problems with Secretary Clinton using a private server and a private email address. The first problem is that this precluded Secretary Clinton from maintaining government records in accordance with federal standards. Now, Clinton and her team refute this because they say, well, Secretary Clinton was always sending email to people in the government system. So on the recipient end, the records were maintained and made available as any other records would be. The inspector general says that's really not good enough. And I'll tell you that if you are um, a lawyer or a law student, you you know that certainly that answer would not be good enough in a discovery dispute. If you were producing emails and saying, well, I only have one side of this correspondence, the other side would certainly ask you, where's the sender emails? And if we don't see the sender emails, what else are we not seeing from that sender? So I do think that this is problematic and the answer from the Clinton team is is not good enough. The second issue identified here is that there was a security risk posed by the use of the private email server. And and the inspector general goes kind of one step farther and says that if Clinton had asked anyone in the State Department if she could do this, if she had asked for permission, she would not have been granted it. Now, she didn't ask for permission, and the report contains some references to people raising questions about it and being told not to question it. I don't think that there is anything particularly nefarious in all of this. You should keep in mind, you know, the FBI is still investigating this matter. So the report from the State Department does not raise any criminal issues at all. This is just from an administrative Uh, some might say more pejoratively bureaucratic perspective. So the FBI investigation is still out there. I think it's also important to note that the emails that have been brought into the public light so far don't show anything corrupt or untoward. Most of them is most of it is very mundane. There's also no evidence that the server was actually hacked. Now, there are some emails where staffers express concern about people trying to hack the server. But we don't know conclusively today that there were any compromises of security associated with the private server. So I think that this report doesn't have a lot of news in it, right? Because even Hillary Clinton now rather reluctantly concedes that this was not a good idea. The report talks a lot about the fact that Colin Powell also maintained private email. And I think that the inspector general was trying to anticipate an argument and meet it. So it is true that Secretary Clinton's practices were not so different from Secretary Powell's practices. It is also true that our understanding and use of technology changed pretty dramatically between the time that Secretary Powell was in his position to the time that Secretary Clinton was in hers. 
certainly our understanding of records management for electronic records and security risks transformed pretty dramatically during that time. So I'm not sure the well, I wasn't the first to do this argument, is great with respect to anything that involves technology because it changes so quickly. But again, really no big news here, but we do have a report now and how that report will be used is probably sadly not going to be surprising to any of us. But we'll keep an eye on this as it goes forward. And the more interesting aspect of all this will be what, if anything, the FBI concludes. Before we move on to Lauren's message and our discussion in this suit today, I want to take a second and just acknowledge that this podcast is coming out the day after Memorial Day. Selena Zito has a terrific reflection on military service that I'm going to include in the show notes. Her piece begins by noting that 41 million people have served in the U.S. military since 1776, which means that 7% of Americans have served on behalf of the remaining 93% of us. So Sarah and I want to take a second to just reflect on that service, acknowledge the great sacrifice that came not only from the people who served, but also their families, the people who have fought for their right to serve the country and are still fighting for their right to serve, and just for all of the incredible bravery and sacrifice that has been spent to keep our country as it is. And then sort of one more hat tip before we move on. Even though Sarah is not here to compliment a Republican, I do want to take a second to compliment a Democrat, as is our practice. I thought that President Obama's trip to Hiroshima was very important. And I really appreciated that he made the trip. I appreciated the way the trip was handled. I do think that U.S. leadership on nuclear proliferation is critical. And I thought that his speech was extraordinary. And we'll put the full text in the show notes as well, but I want to share this little bit of it before moving on. Those who died, they are like us. Ordinary people understand this, I think. They do not want more war. They would rather that the wonders of science be focused on improving life and not eliminating it. When the choices made by nations, when the choices made by leaders reflect this simple wisdom, then the lesson of Hiroshima is done. The world was forever changed here, but today the children of this city will go through their day in peace. What a precious thing that is. It is worth protecting and then extending to every child. That is a future we can choose, a future in which Hiroshima and Nagasaki are known not as the dawn of atomic warfare, but as the start of our own moral awakening. Okay, well, as you know, we set up a voicemail box so that we could hear directly from some of our listeners, and we got this terrific message from Lauren a couple of weeks ago. I just want to share it with you and then do my best to respond to her. Hi, Beth and Sarah. This is Lindsay. I'm a listener in Colorado. I started listening to you after you were on the Decode DC podcast, and you could not have come at a better time, um, especially because I don't have that many really engaged political friends, a few, but um, I really didn't even know what it would sound like for two engaged, informed people to have a nuanced conversation about politics. So thank you for that. Um, I wanted to ask your advice. I was just listening to your episode reckoning with Trump and where we are. And what really struck me was you saying, you know, I think we need to have those one-on-one conversations with people 
close to us as we approach the general election. Um, and I have a coworker who's one of my favorite coworkers, and you would definitely call him Republican establishment. He's been a Republican Party standard bearer for probably 30 years or more. Um, and we've had some really interesting and respectful conversations about politics since I was talking to him about caucusing for Hillary a couple months ago. Um, and we recently talked about Trump, and um, he told me that he was going to vote for Trump just because he always votes for the candidate with the R by their name. And as a party reporter and someone who really believes in the party, it's important to him that a Republican be in the White House, if that's at all possible. And I totally get where he's coming from on that, um, but it also really concerns me and scares me. We are special breakfast people here at Pantsu Politics, but not just when Beth and I are on the road. The truth is I want something warm from the oven every Saturday morning and Sunday morning. It's just the truth. It makes it feel special, makes it feel exciting. I don't want to work at it. So the first time I ever saw Wild Grain which is Bake From Frozen subscription box for sourdough breads, fresh pastas, and artisanal pastries. I was obsessed. You guys, I've been a member for over a year. It's amazing. It's so easy. Every item bakes from frozen in 25 minutes or less. No thawing required. You can fully customize your wild grain box. You can choose any combination of breads, pastas, pastries. You can even build a box of only breads, only pastas, or only pastries if you'd like. And for a limited time, you can get $30 off the first box, plus free croissants in every box when you go to wildgrain.com slash pantsuit to start your subscription. Sometimes I make one single croissant just for me because I want to feel special and they're so good. You heard me. Free croissants in every box and $30 off your first box when you go to wildgrain.com slash pantsuit. That's wildgrain.com slash pantsuit. Or you can use promo code pantsuit at checkout. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Can I get something off my chest? Every day I feel a little pang of sadness. Because I think about Griffin going away to college. Y'all, he's a freshman in high school. This is not healthy or normal. This is why I have it on my list of things to talk to my therapist about. We all carry around these things. Big and small. When we keep them bottled up, it can start to affect us. Therapy is a safe space to get these things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. If you're thinking about starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapist anytime for no additional charge. You gotta get it off your chest. And you can get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash pantsuit today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash pantsuit. Looking for the perfect gift to celebrate the moms in your life? Aura frames are beautiful, Wi-Fi connected digital picture frames that allow you to share and display unlimited photos. It's super easy to upload and share photos via the Aura app. And if you're giving an Aura as a gift, you can even personalize the frame with preloaded photos and memories. You guys, I love my Aura frames. I have one in my office. I have one in my kitchen. I have given one as a housewarming gift. I have given one as Mother's Day. Father's Day. They are the most amazing gifts because this app is a game changer, in my personal opinion, in digital frames. It makes it so, so easy to get the pictures on there and even videos. It plays like you're in Harry Potter, you guys. It is the best. I love mine so much. 
And right now, Aura has a great deal for Mother's Day. Listeners can save on the perfect gift by visiting AuraFrames.com to get $30 off plus free shipping on their best-selling frame. That's A-U-R-A frames.com. Use code Pantsuit at checkout to save. Terms and conditions apply. that someone that I respect so much as a rational, compassionate, wonderful human being might make that choice that scares me so much in November. Um, So I think I should give it a shot to try to have that conversation with him, but I don't exactly know where to start. I don't know what my arguments should be, what my points of emphasis should be, and I would love your thoughts on that if you could give me any advice. So thank you for what you're doing. Can't wait to hear your next episode. Bye. So when I hear Lauren's message, um, I hear in it so many different pieces. The thing that I want to pull out is that many of us are going to have a difficult time over the next few months talking with people about the general election. And there is a ton of advice out there telling you, just don't talk about it and it will be better. You know, don't post about politics on Facebook. Don't discuss it with your family members who are voting for Donald Trump. You can't understand. I want to push back against this advice. I think that we got to this election. Whatever you think about the two candidates, I feel that we can all agree this has been a tough primary process, a process that it is difficult to be particularly proud of. I think we all anticipate a lot more ugliness in the general election And I just overall see us living in this us versus them culture where we're sort of approaching our politics, as we've talked about on the podcast before, like professional sports instead of as something serious that affects our communities and our country. I think we got here because of that advice that you don't talk about politics and religion and polite company. I really do, because the only people who have consistently been talking about this stuff are the people who are super passionate and kind of in the extremes of all of our parties. And that's just made us more and more us versus them. The less that we're willing to engage, the more of that we're going to get. We're here because of echo chambers, because we've listened only to people who say things that make us comfortable, because we have gone to news sources that reinforce our viewpoints of the world. And I think it's just time for us to come to grips with that and say, we're not happy with the result that's produced, so we're going to try something different. I really think the way around this election is the way through it, which means that we get comfortable with being uncomfortable and that we're willing to talk with each other and engage on topics, and mostly that we're willing to talk with people who do not agree with us. We need to listen to these people. People have voted for Donald Trump. They are serious about supporting Donald Trump for president. So all of the time that we spent taking none of this seriously and thinking Donald Trump was a fad, it's over. And we have to understand what prompted people to get to that point, what prompts many, many people to continue to support him, and what makes this election a very difficult choice for people who don't see in Donald Trump or Hillary Clinton a candidate that they can support. You can spend all day not liking how people feel, but that doesn't change how they feel. And in most instances, the more that you say, I don't like the way that you feel, I don't like the way that you think, the more you're ensuring that that person is going to double down instead of persuading them. So the first thing that I really want to communicate, if nothing else, is that we should have these discussions. Shutting down doesn't get us anywhere except more of what we have today. 
So having said that I think we should talk about this, I want to try to talk about some tips, I guess, in how we can talk about it effectively. And by effectively, I mean, how can we talk about it in a way that is a real conversation instead of the talking about it that we see playing out in social media, where people just keep sort of yelling their perspective at the world instead of listening, or the kind of conversation that happens in families where people sort of shout at each other until someone gets mad enough to say we're not discussing this anymore. So I have a few ideas, and these won't work for everyone. And, you know, this comes only from personal experience, not a place of any sort of psychological or sociological expertise. But these are things that Sarah and I try to do as we talk to each other, as we talk with listeners. And I think that one thing that we have going for us here at Bandsuit Politics is a conversation. So with that, a couple of tips, Lauren. The first thing I would say is that your goal should be understanding where the other person is coming from. And that's a different goal than persuading that person. Now, I think that understanding can be a gateway to persuasion, but persuasion as the goal is almost dead on arrival. You really have to start by kind of channeling your inner Oprah and just saying, I'm going to interview this person and I'm going to interview this person with genuine curiosity. So if you take someone who supports Donald Trump and you don't understand how anyone could possibly do that... Step back from all of the disdain that you might feel for Donald Trump and say, I want to understand this and see if you can find other people's views fascinating. You know, that's the best way to get someone to talk to you is to be really excited about listening to them. Most of us love to hear ourselves talk and we love to talk about ourselves. And so if you can use that and just listen with genuine curiosity and fascination, you don't even have to share your own point of view at first. And sometimes it's helpful if you don't. If you sit down across from someone and you know that they're going to try to talk you out of something that you believe in deeply, you're going to be done before you start. So just start out with, hey, you know, I'm not a Trump supporter. I really want to understand what you see here that you find compelling and see what you hear. And a lot of what you hear might be things you agree with. There are pieces behind that support. So we can always disagree with the conclusion. But if we step back and look at the analysis, maybe we'll find pieces where there's some common ground. And then common ground can help us work through any of these situations. Okay, another thing that I think is really important, and I wish that we could just rent some billboards across the United States and put this up, is you should avoid hyperbole. Absolutely no one is persuaded by statements like Donald Trump is a fascist or this will be the end of democracy as we know it. Just as no one um, who supports Hillary Clinton is persuaded by statements about her corruption, you know, when you use language that is extreme in any way, you really do undermine your own credibility and you undermine the person that you're sitting across the table from's dignity. You know, if you start out in a conversation with someone and say, I believe you must hate our country because you're supporting Donald Trump, Hillary Clinton, whomever, what incentive do they have to talk with you? And certainly what incentive do they have to model their own thoughts after yours in a way that would make them change their minds? So I think that listening first, asking questions, being fascinated, and then when you start to talk, talking in as measured of a way as possible is helpful. 
I also think, and this is maybe the hardest part, you have to challenge yourself. So when I sit down to talk with someone who supports Donald Trump, I try to think, what if I'm wrong? Or what if there is no right and wrong? I have in my mind set up a situation where Donald Trump is dangerous for our country. What if I'm wrong about that? It doesn't hurt me in any way to take my mind there and test it. Now, I can come back to thinking, no, I'm not wrong. I do think Donald Trump is dangerous. But I think there's something really important in taking myself all the way over to the other side and really challenging that. I think it's important if you support Hillary Clinton to do the same thing. What if you're wrong? What if she is not being judged unfairly? What if she is corrupt? What if the allegations against Hillary Clinton, all of the worst, are all true? What does that mean to you? Now, you might conclude, oh, I still support her or None of that can be true. I'm exactly where I was when I started. But you can have a much better conversation when you get yourself there for a second. I say to my husband all the time, I'm a much better thinker because of this podcast because I so often get to interact with people who disagree with me. It doesn't mean that my philosophy has changed since we started the podcast. It doesn't mean that the way that I have voted or will vote will change. But I'm a better thinker. And I think I'm better at engaging with other people. And so the more you can step back and ask yourself, what if I am just completely off here? Or what if there is no off? What if there is only a choice and one choice could lead to outcomes different from the other choice, but all of those outcomes are equal? That's a good thought exercise. Now, I'll stop for a second and say, I do not believe that all outcomes are equal. I do think, because I'll get the email, I do think that Donald Trump is a dangerous candidate and Hillary Clinton is not a candidate that makes me excited, not a candidate I can support, but poses less of a risk for our country. So I understand how very, very frustrating Hillary Clinton supporters find any comparison between the two candidates. But that's where I'll say again, I think you have to challenge yourself if you are going to make it between now and November, because it is a comparison now. That is our electoral process. And I think she could be a stronger candidate and your support for her could be stronger and more effective if you're able to go through this exercise. And if you're listening and you support Donald Trump, I want to say, like, I'd love to hear from you. I do want to understand that better because I think all of the things that lead people to support Donald Trump are really important and they aren't going anywhere and they identify real problems of significance that we need to get our arms around as a country. Okay, my next point is then after you've kind of gone through that thought exercise, can you acknowledge the problems with your own position? That is twofold. Like there are two aspects to doing that. The first thing is if you can acknowledge the problems with your position, then you can have more receptivity and understanding for where the other person's coming from. The second thing, though, is this is your opportunity to start, I believe, to persuade someone because you're leading by example. So if I'm sitting, let's say that I supported Hillary Clinton, which I do not, I'm probably going to vote for Gary Johnson, as I've mentioned before. But let's say that I did. So I'm sitting down with someone who is a Donald Trump supporter. I think Donald Trump is dangerous, disastrous, fill in the blank. But I say, hey, I can completely understand feeling that Hillary Clinton is a consummate political insider 
who has used the system to enrich herself and who has perhaps made errors in judgment that raise serious questions about her ability to govern from the White House, particularly with Bill Clinton at her side. I get it. Then you might start to hear, well, you know what? I can acknowledge that Donald Trump has made statements that show a lack of sophistication about international affairs, a lack of respect for people who differ from him, a misogyny towards women. You know, once you show that you're willing to give a little, someone else might be willing to give back. Now, they might not give back in as stark of terms as you're willing to give. And that's the thing. Like, it, the further you allow yourself to criticize your own position, the more they'll be willing to criticize their own position. It's this game of permission. And it's really important to coming to something that everyone can at least understand. And again, you do this not with the goal of changing someone's minds, but with the goal now of being understood. So you have se- you have been seeking to understand and then you seek to be understood. And that's where I think everyone's positions start to soften enough that they might be open to hearing a different perspective because now you're not the enemy, like you're sitting on the same side of the table as that they are, and you're both trying to work through together what are the choices that we have and what should I be considering in exercising my vote. And then the last thing that I'll say about this, I think it is critically important to be generous in conversations like this. So you're talking to someone who supports Donald Trump. Give that person some grace. And I think that's a point that just we can't emphasize enough on the podcast. I know that we talk about it uh, pretty regularly, giving people some grace, giving ourselves some grace. I think that's the only way we get out of politics as team sports, really stepping back and looking at ourselves as just humans who are just trying to do the best we can, just trying to understand what our situation is as a country, what our future looks like. You know, this is all a creative process. We approach it as very reactionary. Like some things happen and then suddenly I have these choices and all I get to do is go, you know, check a box. But it is a creative process. We are consciously or unconsciously always creating our political dialogue, always creating the outcomes of that dialogue. And the best thing that we can do is approach it as a creative process where we engage with other people along the way, we challenge ourselves, we scrap things and start over, we refine, refine, refine. And that requires a lot of grace for yourself and a lot of grace for the people around you. I think that you should just keep talking and try not to come to a conclusion. Like end these conversations by saying, hey, I really appreciate you talking with me and not trying to go anywhere else with it. It's better to walk away still thinking than to be sort of worn out with someone who just won't see things your way. You know, we've really become a nation of debate instead of discussion, and that starts in our schools. I've I've been thinking a lot about education and civics in general and how I think the most valuable aspect of my education was it came with the academic team when I was in middle and high school. I did this program called Future Problem Solving, where you sat with a team of four people for about three hours. I think it's three hours. And you would get a scenario, almost just a story about the future. They called it a fuzzy. (laughs) And you would read about this future situation. 
and then set about the task of identifying 20 problems that either created or resulted from that future situation that you just read about. And then you would pick one of those problems that you saw as the underlying problem. And then you would brainstorm solutions, evaluate those solutions, and come up with your proposed best solution. And that process was judged one team against another. But when you were participating in the exercise, it didn't feel competitive at all. It was completely a collaborative process with your team of four. There was kind of a list of categories that I remember working so hard to memorize. So you made sure that you hit on economic aspects of what was happening, artistic aspects of what was happening, education. Um, You know, it, it went on across a broad spectrum so that you really looked holistically at a problem and at the solutions that you were proposing to the problem. I just think, how can we integrate more and more of that kind of process in our schools? I think debate team is wonderful and has a place, and all of the competitive sports have a place. I'm certainly not a, like, everyone gets a participation ribbon kind of person, as we've talked about on previous episodes. However, I think the best skills that we can give each other coming out of school are not uh, constantly proving our superiority or our rightness intellectually. I think it is figuring out how to relate to people with whom we disagree and figuring out how to see situations as problems that we're capable of solving. So Lauren, I hope that that's helpful. I would just say, talk to this person, absolutely. But talk to this person without a winner and loser mentality. Talk to this person without a stake that's as severe as Donald Trump is dangerous and anyone who votes for him is destroying the country. Not that I think you're there, but I think it's good to just set your intention before you go into the conversation saying, I'm going to be very measured. I'm going to be very curious. I'm going to see what I can learn in this discussion. And I'm going to walk away knowing that I'm not responsible for how anyone votes except for me. And our country will survive no matter what. I guess that's another point that I didn't put on my list. But I do agree with uh, some words uttered by Mitch McConnell this week, which doesn't happen a whole lot anymore. When he said, look, the president doesn't just get to do whatever the president wants, that we have a system of checks and balances for a reason. Part of our frustration with our government typically is that it is very hard to get things done in Washington. It is a very slow process. That is by design. Now, is the presidency extremely important? Absolutely. And depending on the particular executive, that power can grow to a point that is concerning. But I don't think any of us should be walking around saying it will be the end of our nation if any particular person is elected. I think we have to believe in America and the American experiment more than that. And I certainly do. So thank you so much, Lauren, uh, for giving us a call. And I hope that we hear from many more of you. And I'd love to hear um, how the conversations that you're having in your lives are progressing. So we're going to do a very short segment of the heels before I move on to sharing my interview with Predict It with you. I have to tell you how excited I am about the show alone that's on the History Channel. And I'm sharing this because I cannot understand why I like this show. It is pretty much a collage of my nightmares. So Alone, if you haven't seen it, is about 10 people who are sent out into uh, the woods on Vancouver Island 
to just live by themselves. And they are completely by themselves. There is no camera crew. They're equipped to self-document their time out there. There was a medical emergency on an episode this season, and you saw it took quite some time to address that situation. These people are by themselves. They get to choose 10 items to take with them. So they have axes and tarps and uh, nets to catch fish, but they are out there by themselves. There are bears. It is crazy. And I am not an outdoors person. Like my idea of being in the outdoors is sitting on my patio on a sunny day. I'm not a camper. I don't eat seafood. I mean, you could make the longest list ever of why this would not be a show for me. But seeing how people respond to that level of isolation and those extreme conditions, I think there's something just amazing about it and really beautiful. You know, one of the uh, participants said, this experience asks the question, who are you when everything is stripped away? And you can really see that unfolding with these people. And it's just, a, it makes me reflect on sort of how short life is, what kind of experiences you want to have in your life, what's really important. And I also am just constantly learning things about different roots that people can eat and how they can fashion tools out of um, the materials available to them. And the show does a great job of kind of flashing up facts about uh, Native people and how people who really lived from the land ate and used the materials around them and built shelters. So it's a great show, Alone on the History Channel. I thought that it would give me nightmares, but instead I think it's giving me this really wonderful perspective that I would not have anticipated. So moving on to something completely different, thinking about where technology can take us, I want to share with you my discussion with Chris from Predict It about online prediction markets. And I hope that you enjoy this. This is something that I approached with total curiosity and a complete open mind because I knew nothing about it when I heard from Aubrey, who listens to us, and Chris. So I appreciated them taking the time and I hope that you enjoy this discussion. So Christopher Chistick is with us from Predict It. Chris, thanks for taking the time to talk with us. I am super interested in what you are doing and would love for you to just explain to our listeners generally what online political prediction markets do. Oh, absolutely. And I'm happy to be here. Um, Essentially, what a prediction market is, is it's very similar to kind of a brokerage account. So what you would do is create an account, go online, fund the account, And then you can buy or sell shares on the likelihood of political events happening. Uh, Most of them are based on elections, but there are a lot of other categories that Predicted offers. So say you believe that Donald Trump will be the next president of the United States. You can log on, fund your account, put out an offer for a share of Donald Trump becoming the next president, and then your offer would be matched with somebody who does not think he's going to be president for prices that add up to $1. And I saw that it looks like most of the sort of bets that you can make online are yes or no bets. So even outside of the realm of candidates, it's things like, will the Senate confirm any Obama Supreme Court nominee, yes or no? And does it work the same way? Your yes bet has a value that's less than a dollar and it's matched with a no bet that gets you to a dollar? Well, they're not bets. They're investments. So each contract does have a yes or no outcome. And the yes price plus the no price have to add up to a dollar. And so what kinds of people make these investments? Um, We have a pretty wide demographic group. Um, Pretty much 
your average American. We have traders from every state, um, you know, every place around America. So there's not, it's not like one of those things that just is located in Washington, D.C. Um, the traders are very spread out across America. How did Predict It get started in the United States? Uh, so it's actually a project of Victoria University of Wellington, a nonprofit university. They kind of wanted to create a, a, a platform similar to Intrade with, to be and kind of serve an academic interest. So what we did was we partnered with them and created the platform. And now we have relations with about 20 different universities providing data for their research and other academic interests. So I've seen some academic interest papers on sort of how does the prediction market square up with traditional polling? Um, mm -hmm. How much emphasis do you put on that at Predicted and, and what are you finding? Um, so the main difference is that polling is kind of a static thing. So it's more of a snapshot of what is happening, what do people believe at this exact moment? Uh, prediction market is much more of a dynamic thing where the prices reflect the changes in how people are thinking and how people view different candidates and the likelihood of different events. Um, what we've looked into is various means of scoring how our predictive capability works and kind of compared it with other polls or other similar prediction platforms. Um, we're still trying to work on a consistent measure to produce more reliable results. So is the data that you gather generally available or if I if I work for a political action committee or something, can I come to you and buy some of what you're learning? So all of the price data is available online. If you go into any of the contracts, just click on the chart option and you can download data up to 90 days. And is that data sort of like... Can you splice and dice that data? Is there more behind the scenes than is publicly available? Um, so the data that's available online is pretty much the price data that you would go if you looked up whatever stock price you wanted. You would get the daily open, close, high, and low, as well as the volume for that day. Um, so you can use that data. That's a lot of the data that most um, of the university professors are interested in. Mm -hmm. uh, we can break it down a little bit more and get... Um, daily trades. Um, that's available only for research, though. Tell me a little bit about your observations in this presidential cycle. I, I saw that the markets were predicting the Trump victory in Indiana and that confidence in a contested convention was lowering even before Trump's victory there. Um, I would love to know if that is a good snapshot of sort of the accuracy that you've seen or where there have been big surprises along the way. Oh, absolutely. Um, the only real big surprises we've seen so far is in uh, particularly the Michigan primary on the Democrat side mm. when um, Sanders beat Clinton. Uh, that was a big upset. And we kind of looked across the board and almost all the polls, all the prediction markets also did not anticipate that. But generally, when we look back at all of the different primary contests, the price the day before the primary is a very accurate representation of the actual outcomes in that particular election. And I saw that there are investment possibilities on voter turnout as well. How have the markets been in predicting that kind of that kind of metric? Um, I actually haven't investigated those ones particularly. 
Um, I know with the margin of victory questions that have become very popular in the last few primaries, um, a lot of them we have been forced to leave open because the margin that we're asking traders to anticipate is so close to the actual results that we have to wait for the Board of Elections to actually certify that that is the actual margin. Sarah and I have talked many times about our desire to age as gracefully as possible, and skincare is a huge piece of that. I spend a lot of time and money thinking about my skin, and I have added Ritual to my routine, which just gives me a lot of comfort. Ritual is here for us. They have created a wrinkle support skin supplement and conducted clinical studies, so we know it's working. They're taking the guesswork out of skincare. Ritual Hyacera is one of several Ritual products that I love. I take the daily multivitamin, I take a probiotic, and Hyacera is that once daily skincare supplement that is clinically proven to reduce wrinkles and fine lines and increase skin smoothness in 90 days. I recently met a friend for the first time in person as opposed to online. And we were discussing the fact that I am 43 and she said, I cannot believe how young you look. And I thought, thank you, Ritual, for that. Start Hyacera to help minimize wrinkles without compromising on clean science. Hyacera from Ritual is a clinically proven skin supplement you can actually trust. Get 25% off your first month for a limited time at ritual.com slash pantsuit. Start Ritual or add Hyacera to your subscription today. That's ritual.com slash pantsuit for 25% off. There's not much worse than a dry energy scalp. Also, when you get your hair colored and then it does not last as long as you and your stylist discussed, it could be that unfiltered, mineral-filled water is the culprit. Hard water is a leading cause of damaged hair and dry, irritated skin, and about 85% of the United States uses hard water, filled with dissolved minerals and added chlorine. That's where Canopy's new filtered shower head comes in. Canopy, known for their beauty hacks and reimagined humidifier, has revolutionized the filtered shower head. Dermatologists recommended this unique three-stage filtration system greatly reduces contaminants and odors in your shower water, leaving you with healthy hair and glowing skin. Best of all, the Canopy filtered shower head is hassle-free. Installation is a breeze, and its unique quick-release filter replacement feature allows for seamless filter replacement unlike any others on the market. Go to getcanopy.co to save $25 on your Canopy filtered showerhead purchase today with Canopy's hassle-free filter subscription. Even better, our listeners can use code pantsuit at checkout to save an additional 10% off your Canopy purchase. Hurry, your hair and skin will thank you. Do you want a bra that's sexy or a bra that's comfortable? Thanks to Third Love, you can have both. Third Love was started to take all the frustration, ick, and ugh out of bra shopping. That's why they make solutions for every bra problem, aka problems. Their bras make it easy to bring back perkiness you haven't seen since high school, get smoothing you know where, and have straps that actually stay put. Designed at their headquarters in San Francisco and made from premium materials, they put every style through hours of wear testing on real women, including themselves, before it's given the stamp of boob approval. Comfort and support are guaranteed. Plus, whether you're a double A cup or an H cup, their virtual fitting room will help you find your perfect fit fast. And they've even invented half cups. No more feeling stuck between two cup sizes that don't fit right. It's time to get your problems solved. Visit thirdlove.com and get 15% off your order with code PODCAST15. Hmm. 
So if I've made an investment, how quickly after what what happens after my dollar pays? It, so let's say I've chosen correctly, right? And then what happens from mm-hmm. there? So say you invested in Donald Trump to win the Indiana primary. So you purchased that yes share at whatever offer would have been accepted. Say you put in an offer at 40 cents and somebody came in and purchased or made an offer of no at 60 cents. Those trades are matched up and a share is created. Now, if you hold the share to the conclusion of the market, your yes share would be redeemed at $1. Um, As soon as whatever information is available to accurately say, yes, Donald Trump did in fact win the Indiana primary, the market's closed and your account is credited with the full amount. And so I have an account that I can just, I can either cash it out or keep spending in other investments. Exactly. It's exactly like a brokerage account with any trading platform. You can buy or sell shares at will. As soon as you sell, the profits go back into your account and then you can either defund the account or keep trading in other investments. And what is the average level of investment that you're seeing? Uh, I'm not actually sure on that. We haven't um, looked at those numbers in a little while. Um, I could definitely get back to you on that one. Yeah, I'm just I'm kind of fascinated by the idea of like, how much money would I be willing to put into? Um, For example, I think right now that the likelihood of America Garland confirmation has skyrocketed Mm -hmm. since the Indiana Mm -hmm. primary. And I see that that looks like it would be it would be a good time for me to invest um, in that outcome. I'm I just it's hard for me to think like, how much money would I be willing to put into that? I would love to know, you know, how people are thinking about these things. Yeah, well, you can put in whatever amount you're comfortable with. There is a limit, though, of $850 investment per contract. And that's just to kind of limit kind of speculative swings in the market. So is that imposed uh, by your company or is that a regulatory limit? Uh, It's a limit that um, we've decided on. Okay. Yeah, I mean, I guess that's my other question, Chris, as I'm listening to this. I think it's fascinating. I'm wondering, is there an extent... It sounds to me right now like the platform is an excellent reflection of popular opinion, or at least of people who study popular opinions' beliefs about that popular opinion. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> How many stuff do you get? <laughs> yeah, exactly. But but I wonder, is, I mean, is there the potential for this to stop being a reflection and become an influencer? Um, not necessarily. So... What one of the big problems with in trade was, was there was no limit on the markets. So if, say, in the 2011 election, I really wanted people to think that Mitt Mitt Romney was going to win the election, I could put as much money as I wanted into one of those markets. And then the news outlets would start reporting, oh, this is happening with the $850 limit that those manipulations really can't happen. Yeah, it's, there's just not enough money from any one source to bring that kind of potential for negative correct. externalities. And, <laughs> yes, correct. And any of the the markets that would be influential are liquid enough that those kind of attempts at fluctuations would just kind of be dulled by the actual trading of investors. Okay. So from an academic perspective, um, what are you learning about 
sort of the behavior of your investors. You know, I read on the site that one of the most important ways to sort of test your your acumen as a as a person who observes public opinion is to know when to make these contracts and when to sell your position with respect to these contracts. Uh, what kinds of conclusions are you forming from watching people's behavior, especially throughout the presidential primary? Um, so what we've been looking at so far is basically in the very beginning, you would see that the results of one primary would kind of have a ripple effect on later primaries. So what happened in Iowa and New Hampshire would definitely affect the markets for Super Tuesday primaries. But as we go later and later in the election cycle, um, traders are just kind of sitting. So, for example, in when Ted Cruz won Wisconsin, the markets didn't really move in the New York uh, primaries. They stayed that saying that both Donald Trump and Hillary Clinton were going to win their respective primaries, independent of the results in Wisconsin. So is this sort of an armchair punditry thing that's happening, you think? Like, do you do you feel that most of the people you talked about it being just average Americans, anyone can come to the platform? Are you mostly <laughs> seeing people who are super politically engaged and this is sort of a, a, a test for them of, of how they see things? Or are there other motivations that bring people to the platform? Um, I'm not really sure of the motivations. I would imagine that the people that are interested either had some sort of background interest in politics or, I mean, if if Predict It was the catalyst that got somebody interested enough to actually go out and register and vote, that would be great. Right. <laughs> right. Sort of the gamification of democracy or something. Yeah, to, exactly. To motivate people. Yeah. I, and I can see where, you know, keeping that um, investment level capped, that seems, I, I would imagine that a lot of analysis goes into what is the level that that keeps the motivations um, comfortable? I'm actually not sure on that. So that was all set before my time. <laughs> <laughs> Understood. Will you talk a little bit about your role at Predict It? What, what do you do there? And how did you come to enter this world? So I'm a data analyst at Predict It. Um, basically, what I do is I kind of watch the markets, track price fluctuations, see what's happening, um, write up analysis articles or provide graphs or just little insights that go out through either Twitter or Facebook, um, just kind of provide the, the technical analysis behind the markets. So the general election, uh, you have Clinton as a favorite. What about third party options? Are, there, are you seeing any activity around third party candidates in the general? Um, not in the generally, and not in the general election. The top two candidates right now are Clinton and Trump. Uh, Bernie Sanders is in a distant third place. However, uh, Joe Biden is actually not too far behind Bernie Sanders. Oh, that's interesting. And then are people mm -hmm. starting to make investments on vice presidential nominees? Yes, we do actually have markets for vice presidential nominees. Yeah, so for the GOP vice presidential nominee, uh, most traders are going towards Newt Gingrich. His shares are at 15 cents right now. Uh, very closely behind him is Marco Rubio at 14 cents and Kasich in third at 12 cents. Newt Gingrich. That is yes. random and fascinating. <laughs> yeah. Kind of when um, Ted Cruz announced Carly Fiorina as his running mate, the GOP vice presidential market went on its end. Um, John Kasich was leading 
uh, well above 20 cents for a couple days. And then Fiorina rose to the top. And then Chris Christie, surprisingly, came out at the end of the day on top. And the following day, Gingrich came from one cent to up to about 15 cents. Wow, that is really interesting. What about on the Democratic side? Uh, on the Democratic side, right now, Tim Kaine is leading the field at 22 cents. And right behind him is uh, Julian Castro mm -hmm. at 15 cents. Is Elizabeth Warren in there anywhere? Yeah, she is in third place at 13 cents. So for our listeners who have interest um, in things other than the presidential election, you know, we talked about how there are uh, Supreme Court questions. I saw questions mm -hmm. about, uh, you know, just generally, will there be a veto override during President Obama's term? What mm -hmm. other types of investments can people make around American politics? Um, so right now we have a couple Senate races up. Um, they're which party will win X state, Democrat, Republican, third party. Um, so we have all those. If you're not looking at just looking beyond elections at all, we have congressional approval markets. Um, so for example, will congressional approval be, um, 14 and a half percent on X date? Uh, you can buy or sell yes or no shares. Um, we oh, so also you can do like you can do investments about polling data. Is that is that basically what that means? Yes, correct. And we also have Obama's approval rating as well. So what correlations, if any, do you see with polling data? You talked about how the prediction markets um, time is factored into those more than traditional polling. Do they generally track one another or are you starting to see? Um, a diversion where prediction markets are maybe more accurate moment to moment uh, than polling mm -hmm. data? Um, I have noticed in a couple markets when polls are released, there is an immediate movement in the market towards the direction of the poll. Um, sometimes it corrects itself and goes back to the pre-poll prices. Other times it's a permanent correction. So I think it's pretty much similar to every market. Uh, if the Fed announces an interest rate decision tomorrow, you're going to see a drastic movement in across the board. Now, sometimes that may be the beginning of a lasting trend. Other times the prices are going to correct themselves back to their original state. Yeah, that's interesting. Because something I've been wondering about this entire cycle is, and I think there's a lot of research to do in this area, to what extent have polls been a driver instead of a reflection, right? And I guess polls probably in the prediction markets are a driver if, if you see that kind of immediate movement after the release of a poll. Mm -hmm. But that makes a little bit more sense to me because you have people watching public opinion, not just forming it. Um, exactly. Yeah. Well, very interesting. Chris, is there anything else that you think would be a surprising fact for people to learn about online prediction markets or that you would want people to know before they started making their investments? Um, definitely just check it out. Uh, look at the website, see if there's any markets that interest you. Um, we have a wide variety. So if you're, new, if you're new to the subject at all, just give it a ch uh, check it out. We also have a lot of markets on um, international elections. We have one on the Austrian elections, who will be the next mayor of London, as well as the next Spanish prime minister. So even if American politics aren't your forte, uh, there's definitely something for everybody on the website. And so on those uh, international races, are you able to, to see all the pricing information just as you would in the U.S.? 
Oh, absolutely. Um, so with the international races, they are all on the same website. Great. Well, thank you so much for your time, Chris. It's been really interesting talking with you. Oh, absolutely. And thank you for having me. Thanks again to Chris and to Aubrey at Predict It. Thanks to Lauren for the question that inspired the suit today. Sarah will be back with me on Friday for the briefcase. And until then, keep it nuanced, y'all. 